everyone. Welcome to At The Source, a podcast full of food stories. I'm Alex Ryder and I'm your host. If you've listened before, welcome back. And if you've not, welcome. You've arrived at a perfect time because today I'm officially back on The Source. It's been 116 days since I last released an episode and approximately 110 days since I announced I was taking a two-week break. Clearly that turned into much longer, almost four months in fact. Lockdown and living through this pandemic has taken its toll on all of us, I think, in different ways, some worse than others. And before I launch into what is inevitably going to be a monologue, I just wanted to say that I know how lucky I am. I have my partner Dave, I have my house, my family, my health and a really big garden. I have a job, I've had my job throughout and I'm working from home. But that said, around June, July, I think everything just hit me and I just hit rock bottom just needed a break from everything so I stopped writing my blog I stopped the podcast and everything associated with them I think it was loads of different things um like a lot of you out there the pandemic was just getting me down I hadn't seen my family because I live down in Bristol my family are all in the Midlands I was hardly seeing my friends uh Dave lost his job and then promptly we found out literally on the same day that his grandpa had died and I just think it was too much I was waking up, walking from my bedroom to my stood to my box room, which is basically my now now my home office, back again, walking down to the lounge, never really doing anything, having these kind of quick walks around our local area and it just felt too much. There was too much stress and the podcast had turned into a task. It wasn't something that I enjoyed anymore, so I stopped. Before I just carry on moaning, I do want to say on the plus side Our new house has this huge garden. It's ridiculous. Sometimes I just sit there and think, what the fuck have I done? It's massive. Um, But I've got green fingered and I'm trying, or I have been trying to just grow as much as I possibly can. Uh, We have got a greenhouse and probably this is the most exciting bit. We got rescue chickens. So in April, we picked up three rescue chickens. A few months later, we decided you know what, we know what we're doing now. We're going to get two more. So we got two posh birds, uh, the ones that lay green and blue eggs. And then about three weeks ago, we got two more rescue chickens. So um, somehow I am now the parent of seven chickens, which just feels a little bit bonkers. Oh, and uh, two cats. So we also got kittens. So I think maybe I'm nesting. Um, I don't know. Our families have started calling us Tom and Barbara, but I love it. And it's the outlet I needed from a busy job and two hobbies that all demand time being spent in front of a screen. So if you're a regular listener, you'll know that originally I had a co-host, Karis. She quit in January after a fallout and it was hard and I miss her. I still miss her because I lost a friend, but I also lost a podcast partner um, and decided to carry on. Um, But Jesus, let me tell you, running a podcast with a team of one, um, that being me, is really hard work and it's time consuming. So I'd say on average for an episode, you're looking at three to four hours editing, because I'm quite slow at it, per episode, plus the marketing, writing the blog posts, keeping the website up to date, the social media, organising the interviews, researching the interviews, recording the interviews. It's so much. Um, I just needed to hit the brakes. Now, 
September, almost October, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling rested. I'm feeling raring to go. I've actually missed this podcast. I've missed recording the conversations. I've missed speaking to all these amazing food experts and just chefs, writers, farmers, all these people just filling my head with really interesting stories about where where they came from, what they do, how they do it, why they do it. And and ultimately that's what this podcast was all about right at the beginning. And so, you know, when I first took the break, I thought maybe that's it. Maybe I don't want to do the podcast, but actually I really do. And I'm really glad that I'm back. So yeah, let's, let's get on with it. I think I'm ready. So coming up, I have three or four episodes. I can't think off the top of my head how many that were recorded in May and early June and I'm really sorry because there are probably going to be a few references to things that have gone past so um, I don't know references to the lockdown situation as it was summer coming up um, things like that but let's be honest not much has changed has it and I think that sharing those episodes with you will still be really valuable. I'm also planning to resurrect the coronavirus and food series because actually in that department, a lot has changed. We've had the eat out to help out scheme um, and we've got this new 10 p.m. curfew. So I'm really interested to listen and share people's thoughts and opinions on how it's going and let them share their stories from from the front line. So buckle up, get ready for some new episodes and please continue to like, share, subscribe and rate these episodes whenever and wherever you listen, Um, especially on iTunes. That's really helpful. It basically, um, it's a way of getting more people out there to find out about At The Source. And ultimately that's what it's all about. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear if you have great ideas for guests or topics that you want to hear more about. In fact, I just love hearing from you. So please do drop me a line on hello at at the source or you can find me in all the usual social media spots also quickly before i finish and i'm aware that i'm waffling um, i'm on patreon um, this is a platform which allows people to contribute to creative projects so if you feel like you want to maybe make a one-off donation to buy me a coffee or sign up to do a small monthly donation to help with equipment uh, travel costs as and when they come back and just generally keep the podcast running i'd be um I'd be absolutely thrilled. So go to patreon.com slash at the source and you'll see that there's some cool stuff available for patrons for behind the scenes and little extras and things like that. And I'm going to be refreshing all of those options soon. So there should be some cool shit coming. Right. I think that's it. Wow. That was, that was quite a a monologue. Um, To be honest, I feel better just having my earphones on and actually sitting down to record something. So I think it's gone pretty well. Um, Okay, so I'm going to hand over to my former self. This is the first of the interviews that I recorded back in May and June, and it's with the founder of Sublime Butter, talking about his love of a good steak and where his inspiration came from. I'm not going to give it away. And why flavoured butter is the next big thing in the condiment world. This is a really great conversation and I'm sure you'll love it. Okay, thanks for listening and I'm really glad to be back. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. Thank you for having me. Right. So we have to start with the obvious question. Why butter? Um, Why butter? So I've been a passionate steak lover for many years. Um, And there's been something of a a renaissance renaissance in steak in this country over the last 10 or so years. Um, You know, the quality of produce that we're seeing today is unquestionably better than it used to be. Um, For me, the quality of the meat has always been the most important thing. 
Um, and that said, I, you know, I, I, I love the fact that we're seeing so much great produce hitting our shelves and in the restaurants nowadays. Um, but that said, I do enjoy complementary flavors. Um, I guess when you consider the traditional steak accompaniments, such as like Bernays sauces or peppercorn sauces or mustards, uh, those kinds of things, most of them tend to drown out the flavor of the meat. Um, and, you know, I think that's criminal when you consider the effort that's gone into creating such great flavors in the produce that we're having nowadays. And that was really the kind of core driver for for, for setting up the business in the first place. Um, I wanted to create um, a new type of steak accompaniment. So um, I hired a, a development chef and, and together we experimented on a few different flavors, approaches. So we did rubs and oils and all sorts of different things. But it wasn't too long before we settled on on butter, and it was it was a bit of a, a eureka moment, I guess. I, I just thought, like, why on earth has nobody done kind of flavored butter brand properly flavored butter brand before? I mean, if if you search Google for flavored butter, you get about twenty or thirty million search results. But you no, know, if you think about flavored butter brands, there just isn't one. Um, there there isn't one that's. You know, certainly there's been the odd brand who've done a, a kind of, let's say, garlic butter or something like this. But, you know, there's nobody that's really explored the category of butter in in, in great detail. And I guess that's how the my butter journey began. Your butter journey. I love it. And I like the fact that it started with the, the steak and that you were thinking of something to go with it. It's quite an ingenious thing to... You know, you you practiced with these different rubs and spice mixes and all sorts, and you landed on butter, which everyone knows is is wonderful. So, um, right before we talk more about sublime butter, I wanted to, you to tell me a little bit about your backstory. So, did you already work in in the food industry, or was this a complete completely different thing? Not at all. And and, and technically, you know, I, I still I still don't work in in the food industry completely. I mean. Uh, Sublime has been a, a kind of a passion project, which is really starting to blow up now. So, you know, I'm, I'm having to, to juggle many things, but food food is my passion, um, but it's technology that kind of pays the bills. Um, I've worked in technology for my entire career, mostly from an entrepreneurial point of view. Um, I, I created my first company when I left uni with a couple of mates back in 1998, which was based on the concept of creating a, a kind of a payment mechanism for, for kids to be able to spend their pocket money online. Um, and we raised some money to get that idea off the ground. But uh, yeah, I think sadly we were just far too ahead of our time back then. Um, and when the bubble, when the dot-com bubble burst, we had to close shop. But um, I guess silver linings to that was that shortly after that, I was offered a, a job by the fashion brand Diesel in Italy to go um, and head up the digital marketing for the brand globally. For, for somebody in their mid-twenties, I had, had such a fantastic job. Um, my job was basically oh, to try... In Italy as well. Yeah, in Italy was great. I mean, that's really, you know, a lot of my kind of passion for food was born out of my years living in Italy, five years. Having that background, which is completely different, but also has a lot of complementary skills is probably one of the reasons that Sublime is doing so well, because I think a lot of the time with small startups, um, you know, if if they haven't got the the marketing and they haven't got the the kind of the, the knowledge that they need to promote that brand, to make it look good, to make it make sense, because I work in marketing as well uh, in the day, um, I think that's why a lot of them fail. You know, they might have a fantastic product, but if they don't know how to shout about it, then they're never going to get off the um, starting blocks. So I think all of that stuff 
A, it sounds amazing from a career point of view, but B, it probably all led to... Led- yeah, I, I would say that's definitely true. And, and you know, uh, over over what, 20 years of career now, even more than that, 25 years, God, I'm getting old. Um, but, um, um, you know, I, I've got... Not only have I had the great experience myself and working with some fantastic brands, global brands and um, small startups and all sorts, but I've also worked with some amazing people. And I have, um, you know, a great network of of designers of copywriters of all sorts of different contributors and so you know although you know my focus in terms of um the brand building sub brian has been very much about creating the vision of what it's what it is and what it's going to be the actual articulation of that vision is the result of working with fantastic people um you know the best illustrators out there you know our logo for example is hand drawn by um you know somebody called ravi chandwani i've been working with him for years and years and years and he's done an amazing job at developing the kind of the tone from a visual perspective and the copywriting is done by somebody again i've worked with across multiple projects over the last 10 15 years so you know i can understand the kind of right people to bring in and you know the 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 success of sublime is is the result of all of these people coming together which i guess you could say um is ultimately the result of having works and across kind of a broad range of industries over over my career today yeah absolutely and it does look fantastic Uh, i've got a I, I want to say a roll. Is it a roll of butter? Um, yeah, a roll, pack, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I call it a roll. A, a roll um, in my fridge at the moment. And I think the branding is beautiful because actually... Which one have you got? Um, I have got the rosemary, mint and garlic. And I haven't used it yet because um, I can't decide what to do with it. But I've got some lamb leg steaks. I thought it might be nice with those. That'd be great. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, that that sounds perfect. I mean, that one goes really. Honestly, it's a really simple one to to um, make peas better. <laughs> I find you know, a few people have said that. Just put a knob of that into some peas, and uh, it kind of really brings them to life. So there's so many things you can do with it in that respect. But we've got some new products coming out this week as well. So I'll be sure to get you across Ooh, some some of those. That sounds good. So you can try. Right, we've yep. got to talk about this butter. So um, because I will literally just. Talk talk to you about the business side of things forever and I think mm-hmm. people find that really interesting but I know that a lot of our readers like me probably want to hear about the tasty stuff um so you've talked previously and you did touch on it a little bit um just earlier in, in our conversation about disrupting the dairy aisle and you um you said that it was like a eureka moment but when did you first realize that there was a gap in the market for a steak accompaniment so before you knew it was going to be butter was was that a eureka moment or did you just did it just slowly dawn on you that you were sick of peppercorn sauce or packet sauces um, or? i mean i mean it's it's been it's been an evolution i mean since the idea first kind of came into my head i think it was 2015 um when i first started thinking about the concepts of creating a steak accompaniment um you know it was a slow evolution and to actually get to the point whereby we launched a product last year um so um but uh, again as i said it, originally the thought was to create something that was a steak accompaniment but it but it 
didn't take long before you know once once we'd settled on this concept of flavored butter it didn't take long for me to realize that um you know that there was there was something a lot more than just as a steak using butter as a steak in the accompaniment here um you know butter is an incredibly versatile product you can have it with literally every single meal of the day and you can use it for snacking and cake baking and so on i mean literally you could use butter for everything um, I guess if you look at the various aisles in the supermarket, most product categories have, have witnessed, you know, quite a lot of innovation over recent years. So, you know, if you look down the crisps aisle, for example, you know, you're seeing loads of new brands emerge, pop chips and all sorts. You know, if you look at what Fever Tree has done to the tonic market, I mean, there are so many different product categories that have evolved over, over recent years. But, you know, if you look at the butter aisle, you know, there's been very little in the way of innovation. I mean, it, it, it is quite quite surprising really that none of the big brands have have innovated that much and so you know i i saw an opportunity not just to create an um, an innovative product for kind of as a steak accompaniment but to actually create a product which could be used in a multitude of different ways um i guess there's another thing as well um you know what we're, what we're thinking um in terms of how the brand and products is going to evolve is is tied in with kind of current trends as well so you know um if you look at what's going on right now with the rise of brands, convenient, healthy, convenient home cooking, with the rise of brands like Gusto and HelloFresh and things like that, um, you know, in many ways that we are considering our product to be a kind of a new type of convenience product, you know, you buy good quality ingredients, meat, vegetables, pasta, whatever, and then add some of our butter to, to, to give it flavor. And it really is that simple. So it's kind of really simple home cooking, you know, without having to go out and buy the herbs and the spices and chop the garlic and so on so forth you know you can still have that healthy home cooked meal um um with the flavor by just by using simple ingredients so that's that's kind of where we're, we're taking it. and i think you know from a kind of a disruption of the dairy aisle that's that's the idea it's kind of is is it's butter but butter being used just you know beyond what it's currently currently being used yeah for. thinking outside the the box for sure yeah yeah. Um, I absolutely love the inspiration. Um, so I studied mm-hmm. history at university. Um, and so whenever there's a possibility to talk about food and history at the same time, it, it makes me yeah. really happy. Um, so the 18th century sublime society of the beefsteak, um, yeah. a gentleman's club in London, was it? Um, can you tell yeah. me a bit more about that? Yeah, I will. I mean, I first stumbled across this book, uh, this well, this this, this story um, in a book that I read by an author named Ben Rogers, um, and this was kind of very much the start of of the journey to where we got to today. Um, the book's called Beef and Liberty, and and it's all about this kind of seminal moment in, in British history, which was towards the beginning of the 18th century in 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 London. Um, yeah, at this moment in time, it's 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 when French and British cuisines really kind of split. You know, French went all refined, and and British went very much kind of you know meat and two veg. Um, um, you know, b- back in those days, a typical middle class family would have had a, a terrier powered rotisserie, which would kind of slowly kind of cook cook the meat over the course of the afternoon in time for the, the dinner when they got home. Um, and back then there was, there was, um, you know, a few different societies that kind of popped up, but one in particular grew to become very famous. Um, and that was the Sublime Society of the Beef State. It was started by a guy called John Rich, who was, um, the manager, um, and machinist at 
the Theatre Royal in Covent Garden. Um, and he, he, he'd grown a, a particular reputation as being, you know, a very eccentric theatre man. So he, he was some of the one of the first people to do pyrotechnics on on stage. You know, reenact battle scenes with cannons and all sorts. And so he was he was he, he sounds like he was somewhat of a mm. character. Um, and amongst his friends were um, you know other other famous creative people, William Hogarth, the painter, um, you know, and, and a number of others. And they got together and they created this society called the Sublime Society of the Beefsteak. And it really was a celebration of of you know the British way of doing things. So it's like you know you can have your you can have your 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 refined food, but we've got our beef and and our liberty. <laughs> um, so it was, you know, I guess it was a, a fun way of you know sticking two fingers up to the French way of doing things and celebrating all things British, which I found kind of quite fun. Um, and, you know, from, from a Browning point of view, um, you know, I love the story. Mm-hmm. It's got so much, it's got so much history to it. I mean, it wasn't, it was really an amazing thing. And so what I'd like to do from a sublime point of view is over the coming years is to weave in the story of the sublime society of the beef state into my brand so that I can kind of tell more people about what, how amazing this society actually was. And they actually had some pretty impressive members, didn't they? Cause I did a Google search, um, when I first read this on your website and apparently Lord Sandwich and George the fourth were, were members. Um, and yeah. I, I think it's still going. It seems as though it's still a thing. It is. It is still going. It had, it had a, it had a gap for, um, I think around a hundred years. Um, and, and it happened because, uh, the, the 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 Sublime Society used to meet every single Saturday at four pm, um, and um, I think probably you know, in, in, at some point in the nineteenth century, um, you know, it was no longer socially <laughs> acceptable for for, for gents yeah. to, to go off with their mates at four pm and and eat steak and, and get pissed on Paul all afternoon. <laughs> So, so, so instead they, they went to their kind of country retreats and the whole thing fizzled out, but it was brought back, um, I think around the 1960s, um, and has, has kind of come back to life since then. I actually, um, I've actually met, um, a gentleman called William, who is direct descendant of John Rich, which is um, fantastic. So I've actually met him and spoke, and I'm speaking to him now as well. So, um, you know, although I, I, I'm, 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 I haven't, I haven't tried to join the society yet. You know, maybe who knows in the future. You know, if I if I can do enough to help tell the story of the Sublime Society, maybe I might be might be lucky yeah. enough to get an invite at one stage. That would be amazing. But it was, um, you know, what, what, I, what I loved about the Sublime Society is that in many ways it was like the perfect democracy. Um, like the same rules apply to everybody. So, yeah, you mentioned lords, kings, poets, painters, all sorts of people would join. Um, but everybody had the same rules. Um, and one of those, for example, was that the newest member um, – uh, was called the Boots, and that Boots, they had to arrive an hour before everybody else on a Saturday afternoon, prepare the after, you know, prepare the lunch, and then you know, pour the wine throughout the course of the dinner and the pause, etc. Um, so that 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 would have been kind of King George the Fourth, and you know, and also King George the Fourth was, you know, he, he he didn't jump to the front of the waiting list. He had to he had to wait just like everybody else. So I think I think I believe that he was on the waiting list to join the, the society for something like three years wow. as well. 
And I, I find that just so funny, you know, the king, the king of the, yeah. well, the future king at the time of, of, of England was just treated like everybody else. Um, and I just think that's just <laughs> such a wonderful story. It is. I like that a lot. So you, yeah. you haven't joined yet and maybe in the future you'll be invited to, but you did start your own state club. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, it, it. I mean, yeah, it was actually. I mean, literally, as as, as soon as I put that book down, Beef and Liberty, uh, I, I'd already made the decision that I'm going to stake up. I'm going to start up my own state club as a as an homage to the original Sublime Society. Um, and so, back, I think it was late 2009. I I called a few mates and I I invited them to the inaugural Steak Appreciation Society <laughs> meeting, which we, which which we held at Hawksmoor. Oh, amazing! Amazing. Yeah the original Hawksmoor um, in Commercial Street in Spitalfields. Um, and you know, I think there were six of us at that first meeting, and I think three or four of them are still members to this day. Um, and every um, every six months we meet, everyone pays subs into the into the, the society account, and every six months we, we meet at one of, one of London's great eateries, state restaurants. Um, and we've just initiated member number 46 last week, um, uh, over the years, we've had some really great experiences. Um, you know, we had uh, Mark Hicks. We went to uh, one of Mark Hicks's restaurants, Bankster, uh, Hicks or Bankside rather, and um, he flew over uh, his meat provider, a guy called Peter Hannan from from, from Northern Ireland. Um, from the Glen Arm Estate, which um, so, I'm sure some of your listeners will probably have heard of, and um, they they make some of the most amazing tasting pink Himalayan salt aged beef you can you can buy anywhere. And he gave us a kind of a great talk about kind of how he produces his meat and so on. And then we were lucky enough to have a, a butchery masterclass courtesy of Jason Atherton. Wow. Um, so um, he, we did it at his restaurant and, um, you know, he, he, he gave, said a few words as well. It was a really fantastic evening. So we're really starting to introduce, over the years, we've introduced a lot of theatre into the actual, um, you know, the evenings that we do as well. So, you know, not only is it a great kind of evening where you're kind of meeting and chatting with your friends, but you're also learning a lot about steak, the the way it's produced and you know, all, all different aspects of it um, and, and trying some of the great um, great quality produce that's available. We, we had one recently, probably one of my favorite ones actually, um, there's a butcher shop in Hackney called Hillinger Rock um, and um, the, a guy called Luca runs that and you know I, we t- I called him, I'd spoken to, actually I first met him when we, we were popping in there to, to, to sell our sublime butter and um, um, you know, we got chatting to him about the Steak Appreciation Society as well, and kind of then we we, we began to arrange one, and we had this most fantastic meal where he pre- he prepared because they've got it's a butcher shop by day, but in the evening they turn it into a restaurant as well. It's really something quite special that's definitely worth a visit if um, if you haven't been. Um, and we had this um, uh, uh, a ten course beef meal with every single course had been prepared um you know with the same the same re- uh, Revan breed Devon white spot and it was 
quite honestly, one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. So you do get to get through the Steak Appreciation Society. We get to go to some great places, um, you know, learn a lot about me along the way as well and, and have fun. Um, last week was quite interesting, though, because, of course, um, you know, we couldn't meet face to face. So we had to do our first ever virtual <laughs> um, Steak Appreciation Society meeting. And it was so good. And um, we had, I, I think there was probably probably 40 or 50 people in total came up to that wow. one. Um, and we did the whole thing via Zoom. Yeah. Um, and um, Tony, who's Tony Ho, who's also the head chef for Sublime. So he's the guy who creates all the recipes, all, all the recipes for Sublime. Um, he put together this fantastic, um, you know, like box of produce, which which was sent around to all of the members, and then we did a kind of a virtual cooking thing. Um, and it was, I was going to ask if you all ate the same thing. <laughs> it was such a laugh. I had to. I mean, it was such a laugh. And funnily enough, um, I'm actually. I mean, you know, obviously the, this whole kind of lockdown has had an impact on, on, um, on, on everybody. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, being a foodie and also kind of working in technology, I've, I've, I've given quite a lot of thought about, you know, what, what, what's some, what's some interesting ideas that can be done on the back of this. And I'm actually just about to launch a project called cook along TV. So it's the, the website is cookalong.tv. And the whole concept behind that is that I'm getting a load of celebrities to, to host these, se- these virtual cooking sessions where they will, you know, get a, get a, get their iPad or, or iPhone, whatever in their kitchen. Um, and we're going to manage this kind of virtual cooking thing via zoom. And then we're going to be doing a prize draw online where people can enter for the chance to win um, a seat at that kind of virtual table with that celebrity. Um, and that's all in aid of charity. So, um, you know, we're just, just about to launch that actually. And of course, that sounds amazing. Sublime involved in that. Yeah. We've got some really good people involved as well. So we've got Alex Jones, um, the one show presenter, we've got Jody Kidd, Syrian Botham, um, you know, lo- we've got loads of people. So it's, fa- it's fantastic. That sounds really good. Yeah. We'll, we will definitely share that with the listeners. Um, so, do you know which charities you're going to be donating to or is it still to be decided? Uh, well, initially, um, kind of when I first started working, I mean, it's incredible how quickly this thing's come together. So, you know, six weeks ago, first thought of the idea um, and it's launching this week. We just featured in Hello Magazine today. We've got four pe- four pages in Hello wow. Magazine talking about the idea. Um, and it's, we haven't had a single meeting for this. <laughs> it's either. all been it's done all been remotely. Done, it's all been done on WhatsApp and, and, and on Zoom, the whole yeah. thing. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite incredible. Um, so. I think a lot of people have realised that a lot can be done remotely. Yeah. I work for a big, old company and uh, as part of the comms team, you know, we started working remotely a week before the lockdown kicked in and the comms team we're just mm. ticking along fine you know we're all busy and we're, we're doing everything that we would have done if we were sat in the office but it's taken yeah. quite a bit of time for the kind of the the bosses to realize that actually we can get this stuff done and we can work just as well and we're we're cracking on and you know we're not all just sat at home secretly watching the telly maybe some people are I don't know um, but I think it's been a real yeah. eye-opener and I'm sure that there are a lot of companies and places around the world not just here who are realizing that yeah. actually do you know what we can do so much without being face-to-face not that that's not a nice it's not nice to be face-to-face but we it's certainly we haven't stopped have we um, I think yeah. you know people are still getting that, on that's true 
I mean, I've been I've been a massive advocate of of uh, remote working for many years now. I mean, when we set up our our current tech company, we set that up in 2013. Um, we 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 were remote since day one. Um, you know, and we've had um, as many as 45 people working for our company, um, you know, at any one given time throughout those years. And we've never had an office. Um, and, you know, the whole thing is conducted via, you know, online software packages, things like Slack and video calling and all sorts. And, you know, obviously it doesn't work for everybody. In some some companies, you have to have a face-to-face meeting at some point in time. But we, we do that. And, you know, we do get together as a team occasionally, whether it's kind of like a weekend or or something like that to kind of you know boost the morale but i think nowadays you know more and more people are just adopting um to to the to the approach of just being able to get stuff done and in many ways it is more efficient you know the charities um you know you mentioned just before with with regards to um the cook along um you know initially we were, we were talking about supporting the nhs but then we quickly realized that you know many of those many other charities are actually suffering greatly so we kind of change the focus of that to make it more so that the celebrity can pick the charity themselves that's great Um, so so more charities are benefiting from that and one of the things that we did is that we just you know we got a database of charities in the uk um and myself and one other guy um just started kind of emailing every single one of those charity marketing directors, marketing managers, and so on. And probably within 24 hours, we had arranged 20 meetings, which are all done via Zoom. And, you know, just to get that kind of meeting with those people via Zoom would have taken so much, would have been so much harder to coordinate before the lockdown because you know to get a meeting in you know an actual face-to-face meeting it's an hour up someone's diary minimum then you've got the travel times to and to and fro etc you know this is 15 minutes you know 15 minutes we can get through you know at that with at that amount of time we can get through a lot more meetings and we can be a lot more efficient and on the on the back of that you can get a lot more done so you know i'm 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 a big advocate of of remote working um and you know wherever we can do that i'm going to continue to do that i mean the sublime has been remote completely since day one and you know we're going to try and keep it remote for as long as we can obviously we have the production facility down in in, in brew valley but um you know for the most part we we, we just you know run things remotely and i think that works yeah for us. yeah i mean i have to admit this is on a totally different scale but um the, recording the podcast has because i've always wanted to record face to face where I can because I think it's you know you get that kind of vibe going and you you're having a drink and you can chat and it's it works better in most cases however that said since lockdown has kicked off um I've been able to record a lot of podcasts with people that again like you say would probably have taken a few months to organize you know when am I next in London or when am I next going to I don't know Sheffield or Brighton or wherever they might be um and it has it has been really good and I think that uh if and when things do return to how they were before I will definitely implement a mix of them of them both because for me it means that I can spread my range of who I can talk to like yourself uh, which yeah which works really well I think absolutely I want to talk to you more about steak because uh, funnily enough you know uh, this is a this is a podcast talking about butter but actually we've talked a lot about steak um and this steak appreciation society it's serious business you know you you aren't just getting together with your mates to have a some meat and a beer it sounds as though you're you know you're all learning you're interested you're taking um 
you're you're passionate about the the produce and where the beef comes from and i thought maybe i should just ask you what what is the best i don't even know if you can answer this question actually do you have a favorite cut of steak um it's a good question um i mean i i like to mix it up um you know i i do have my favorites i mean i'm 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 a rump guy, especially, <laughs> and there's a there's a particular there's a particular cut of rump. Um, it's Brazilian called picanha. I think it's more popular nowadays over here. But I've I've been going to Brazil for quite a few years now. I've got two very good friends of mine who who run a hotel out there, um, and I, I actually have helped I help them over the years um, set that up from a kind of marketing point of view and so on and so forth. So I have been out there a few times. Um, and you know, my trips out there, I, I first experienced picanha back in about 2009, I think it was. Um, and picanha is um, um, cooked on a, a, a on a spit, a rotisserie, so um, a terrascaria, and so it's it's like a. I guess we call it a top rump over here, but they, 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 it's got, it's got a lot of fat on it and, and they, they, they curl it into a sea and skewer it. And then slowly it's, it, it kind of cooks slowly on, on a rotisserie and that fat just goes throughout the whole, throughout the whole meat and you get this incredible flavor, flavor from it. I mean, I, I prefer, um, you know, I prefer a bit of, I, I prefer cuts that have got a bit of fat in them. I'm, I'm less keen on the kind of really lean stuff. I've never really been massively into fillet. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not fussy really. I'll, I'll eat most <laughs> of the cow. <laughs> so how much steak do you eat? Go on, be honest. How often are you eating it? I think, I, I think I do believe in kind of quality, not quantity. Um, you know, and I, I'd much rather kind of have one great piece of meat over the course of the week than kind of a number of, you know, average pieces of meat. And I think right now, this moment in time, especially during lockdown, um, you know, there's so, there's so many amazing opportunities to get your hands on produce that you would never otherwise have been able to get hold of because, you know, a lot of the wholesalers, which are, you know, reliant on selling their produce to great restaurants are, looking for ways in which they can stay afloat essentially so a lot of the wholesale businesses are doing direct consumer offers um and you're getting some you know some of the best quality meat that's available in this country um directly from the wholesaler or even the producer themselves um i had some short ribs recently which were um from uh, the supplier that provides the Ledbury. so you know michelin star restaurant quality beef at home and they were absolutely phenomenal i cooked in a cooked in a sous vide um and then finished off in the oven i tell you what i, I could definitely definitely do that more than once a week but you don't want to be too <laughs> do you? oh dear i feel like this was we're recording this um right across just before dinner time and it's, it's really making my my tummy yeah. rumble um yeah so i'm aware that we've talked about steak quite a lot um but if our listeners don't like steak, what else can they use your flavoured butters for, aside from the peas? <laughs> well, many things, really. Um, many things, really. I mean, as I said earlier, you know, butter is an incredibly versatile ingredient and it can be used in all sorts of different ways. And I think, you know, the flavours that we are adding to um, 
the, the butters, um, you know, can 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 be used in all sorts of different ways with all sorts of, of different meals. Uh, one of the greatest things, um, you know, that, that I've enjoyed um, seeing over the course of the last year is how our um, kind of community uh, on Instagram particularly has kind of grown. I think we've got about 4,700 followers on Instagram now, which is kind of incredible. Well, we only had 4,000 last week and it's already gone up 700. It's really going up now, which is great. Um, and the interaction that we have from those people on, on Instagram is amazing because every, literally every, every day of the week, people are sending us photographs of the creations that they're making using our butter. One of the things I really liked in particular, uh, which is a very simple thing, was um, using our truffle butter in scrambled eggs. And it's just something so simple as that, just cooking scrambled eggs, but instead of using regular butter, using our truffle butter, and it really does make them taste so good. Um, yeah, I mean, really, there's, there's no end to what you can do. Uh, and I think that's kind of what makes it a quite an interesting product. It's an easy way to add a touch of luxury to your to your food, um, because like you said, you know, you, you don't it, there's the convenience factor where you don't need to be kind of picking and chopping your fresh herbs or your garlic. But then yeah. also it elevates it's it's a way of elevating. And I think that if people aren't near um, an independent deli or shops that are closed at the moment they can get it online through pharmacy and co can't they but um they i yeah some some other people had pipped me to the post and they'd uh, temporarily run out of stock so uh, <laughs> definitely have to make sure that i can get some of that one in the future we got uh we got forwarded um um i guess a kind of a receipt from one of their recent retail purchases where one person had bought 10 Rolls it was that person. They, they stole that, all the butter. That, that, that person stole Ooh. all the real butter. But, but, but the online, I don't know what they're going to do with 10 rolls of truffle butter. They must have something planned. Eating it, but, um, instead of chocolate bar. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot of butter. Oh. I mean, I don't think I could get through 10 rolls of truffle butter. That's an awful lot. But, um, you know, you know, it's great to see, you know, online, especially during the lockdown as well, is, is going through the roof and farmers and are, you know, they're, they're, they're a great customer of ours. And, you know, we're, we're starting to sell quite a lot through there. And also we're starting to open up um, some other um, kind of online retail partners as well so um donald russell is another one who we are we're just about to start working with right now and, and um, fantastic another yeah. great uh, online butchery so yeah exactly matches and, made in heaven uh, exactly and, and of course they send out everything out as kind of in in, in essentially in boxes I, I guess and so it makes perfect sense for for our products to be um you know in those boxes as a complement to the, the, the great quality meats that they're sending out. Um, but butcher shops and farm shops are really our primary focus at the moment. Um, you know, we do have ambitions, longer term ambitions as a business to, to, to grow. And, you know, I would like to, you know, when I, when I talk about it amongst, you know, friends and, you know, potential investors um you know i talk about kind of my ambition for the business is of, of being the kind of um the, the the butter equivalent of fever tree in terms of what they've done to a market so fever tree you know they they hit a market which had been resting on its laurels for too long by creating a superior product and you know it wasn't too long before you know they have they've taken kind of absolute control over the market um again there's a brand in america called halo top you may have heard of um they make ice cream Five years ago, they didn't even exist. Now they are. Um, now, they're, now they're bigger than both Hagen Dazs and Ben and Jerry's in America from the, the kind of the, the pot perspective. So it's incredible how quickly you know 
these companies can come through and change. And I think, you know, that that's 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 really what I want to do with 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 Sublime. Um, so you know, it's all it's all part mm-hmm. of the journey. So yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And at the moment, you you mainly do work with kind of independent businesses, smaller retailers, um, and even not just with with the places that are selling your butter, but for example, with the family run farm in Somerset that you use. Do you think that your world domination will hamper your ability to work with those smaller those smaller organisations? You know, right now we started with butcher shops and farm shops. Um, the next step is to go to the larger retailers, online retailers, the likes of Donald Russell, whereby you know, and farmers, and where the, the the volume of sales will be will be much greater. Um, and then probably our target will be one of the smaller chains of supermarkets. I mean, we'd love to work with someone like a Booths, for example, to begin with, and then ultimately to um, you know the larger supermarkets. Um, but so it's all a journey and it's going to happen over the course of the coming years. But you know, at the same time, we, we want to make sure that we are always supporting the smaller independent retail trains that exist up and down the country. This is where we launched the brand. And, you know, we're passionate about, you know, supporting um, producers of, of, of great quality ingredients, um, you know, whether that's kind of fruit and veg that you're buying at farm shops or meat from the butchers or fish from the fishmongers, whatever. You know, we, we really want to support local producers as much as we can. And so, you know, to that end, no, no matter how big, you know, we get as a business, we'll always find ways in which we can continue to support smaller independent retailers as well. And one of the ideas that we've got on that front, for example, is, is a product segmentation so um you know our more let's say our everyday butters like pink himalayan number one for example which is our um pink himalayan salt is is our salted butter um you know that's 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 a mainstream product and it's a it's a direct alternative for for just butters that you would have in your house any given day just to kind of you know use with toast or whatever it may be that that's a great product to feature in a supermarket but then you've got kind of more specialist butters which would be great for um you know specifically things like meat products or fish products whatever which we might only ever sell in fishmongers or butchers so i think to that end you know you're always kind of continuing to to support the independence whilst at the same time time creating a business which is going to grow and provide us sufficient revenue so that we can continue to expand the business. 